0: Welcome to the Kingo Podcast, where we interview published authors, screenwriters, and story consultants to answer the question, what makes a great story? If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so that we can continue to grow and learn more storytelling tips from our special guests. Let's start the show. So Jordan Rosenfeld is the author of the suspense novels, Women in Red, Forged in Grace, and Night Oracle, as well as the writing guides Writing the Intimate Character, Writing Deep Scenes, Make a Scene, and A Writer's Guide to Persistence. Her work has appeared across popular publications such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, Vice, and Writer's Digest. And her newest book, How to Write the Page-Turner, comes out in spring 2019. So we're lucky to have her here, and thanks for joining us, Jordan.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really glad to be here.
0: Yeah, uh, clearly, you know, you've thought a lot about what makes a great story. So (laughs) to start off, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what creates an engaging story. How do you keep the reader engaged?
1: Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. It's actually somewhat the subject of my forthcoming book as well. Um, so to me, really, what holds the reader's attention all the way through a book is something I call tension. Now, I'm, I'm not the creator of that term, but uh, tension, you know, is it's a it's both an ethereal thing and a very you know practical thing, and it should exist at every level of the craft. So for me, what the essence tension is the sort of I call it the art of opposing forces. So that you've got a protagonist, ideally, with a goal going after some kind of a, you know, setting the story in motion. And then you have forces that oppose that, that character's goal. So that there's always this feeling of um, nothing is easy, nothing is easily achieved. There's conflict, there's tension, there's drama. Um, but of course, you also need some kind of a compelling character. You know, stories, you can have all the elements of tension and have a really unlikable character and people probably won't. <laughs> want to keep reading your book. So I'd say have really strong tension, have an interesting character and, and alongside those things, um, make sure that you're, you have a compelling story goal, that the the story is going somewhere interesting. And um, you know, of course those are, we can say that out loud and that sounds great. There's a lot of moving parts to those things, but I would say those are good things to to check off the list.
0: So that that's fantastic. Um, And you were mentioning you know sort of a desire and opposition to that and that sort of state mm-hmm. of conflict creates that tension mm-hmm. do you, is there any how do you view conflict like is there any particular conflict that works well with a particular desire i always think it's it's interesting this idea of like which conflict should you include
1: mm-hmm. well first of all you you want to have conflict almost all the time in the sense that you have, um, again, whatever the protagonist is desires or is searching for or seeking, that there's something preventing them either from getting it something, you know, something or someone fighting against their will. Um, I like that. And I honestly don't know who originated this concept. I feel like it's sort of like just basic story elements, but I like to break conflict down into um, I think about five categories. So they, you've got the protagonist versus, uh him or herself so the character fights with their own inner emotional conflicts that's like when you're torn between two things um the protagonist versus other characters and that's where of course antagonists come in but also to keep your characters in conflict even with their allies Mm. so friends so again i always say like you know and every anything you can neatly tie up in a bow or anyone getting along too easily makes for boring fiction yeah. do so you want you know it's like happy happy nice people boring fiction yeah um and then you've got some simple other kind of uh, ways to look at conflict the protagonist versus nature or the natural world and i think of that also largely as like situations out of the character's control you know anything from a car accident to a blizzard right that's a form of conflict but it's not with another person um same thing can go for what what they call protagonist and society so that can be uh, conflict with your family, with your, with the social norms of an era, with, um, you know, your character could be raised in a, a strict religion. Yeah. And then lastly, there's, in the more genre-based writing, you've got the protagonist having conflicts with supernatural forces. So that, those kind of, kind of neat, that's maybe a little broader than you were thinking. But um, honestly, I feel like you have to, your conflict has to be somewhat organic to the character's story. Hmm. Right? Like, you don't want to just throw in conflict for conflict's sake. It has to match what your character's going after. Yes. And that's kind of, yeah.
0: No, that was kind of what I was getting at. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. Make it organic and have it match what the character's going after. And hmm. from that perspective, then it's, it's just not random conflict. You don't just throw in a, a mm. tree that's fallen in the middle of the road just because. Uh, right. And do you have any tips for creating that sort of organic conflict?
1: Well, I think you know you have to ask yourself. You have to really know what your character is out setting out to do, and you have to also really know who and what your pro, your antagonists are. Hmm. Um, so, so first, I mean, to me, it it's, it should become fairly simple. If my character, um, let's see if we can think of one off the top of our heads. Yeah. What's a good character goal? Uh, you know, yeah. if my character's goal is to um, let's say it's like small town kid wants to leave for the big city or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. You're going to have things that are naturally going to oppose that probably the family that the kid comes from, maybe socioeconomic forces will, will pose conflict. He might not have enough money to move his job. doesn't have a job. Hmm. Um, There might be uh, other forces at work in his own internal conflicts. He wants to leave, but he feels loyal to his, sick mother or something yeah. like that um he might have a, a girlfriend or a best friend who, who says if you leave you know i'm it's, it's over between us so mm. things like that where it's organic to the story it's not just like and then uh, a hurricane <laughs> blew into town <laughs>
0: right you know exactly.
1: preventing him from leaving like no 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 i mean exactly. unless that's what your story is about hurricane katrina you know
0: yeah no that's it's a fantastic point so That organic conflict creates those moments of tension. Now, do you draw a distinction between suspense and tension and or um, how do you view suspense and drama?
1: Well, to me, they're just another form of tension. And I like the reason I actually stopped using the word suspense as the overarching word is that people have this association with that as being a kind of genre in and of itself. Oh, if I'm writing suspense, it means I'm writing a suspense novel or a suspense story. And actually to me, suspense is that it's that feeling that you don't know what's about to happen next. um, And that there might be danger involved or the character, you know, has something at stake to lose. And that suspense is actually what you hope to create all the way through a book. But I, I find that if you call attention, it's, it, it's less, um, it confuses people less. Right. That makes sense. You know, So to me, it's uh, suspense and drama are just forms of tension. Got it. And so, and so it's semantics in my world.
0: Uh, totally understandable. And these kind of all go toward that goal of engaging the reader then. Yes.
1: Yes. And really, I mean, if you think about what keeps you reading a book, okay, after you find a character you like who's engaged in a compelling journey... What is it that keeps you turning pages? For me, it really comes down to something. (laughs) I need to know what's going to happen next because probably my character is either in in danger or stands to lose or gain something. And I want to make sure they either gain that thing or don't lose that thing. And so I can't stop reading because I haven't yet. So what the tension is being created by the writer, not sort of, for lack of a better word, consummating any of the characters' desires or goals right away, as well as taking things away from them and making life harder on them or, or their plot challenges harder.
0: Yeah, so you kind of... So oh, yeah. go ahead.
1: Oh, no, it's, you can go ahead. Yeah,
0: you kind of get to the heart of stakes there then and the importance of that in, in keeping yes. the reader engaged.
1: Yes. Yes, you ha- your character has to have something to lose or gain. And you have to constantly be figuring out what, you know, again, you don't want to randomly be figuring that out. It should be, um, you know, these kinds of stakes or consequences of things come from each scene that you write. So the character sets out, uh, undertakes an action or an event or a situation. And then from that situation consequences develop creating other stakes. Um, Sometimes it's the same stakes and sometimes it's new ones, um, as they gain and lose things along the way, but to make it simple, um, you know there's all there's so many opportunities to continue to withhold and take things away from your character as well as to give them give them brief rewards that you <laughs> that are brief and not brief. too not yeah not too kind and you know you can have characters come together and you know you get sort of temporary solutions along the way but those don't last and they get ripped away and yeah et
0: cetera and so on yeah that's great uh, <laughs> so i love too that the stakes you're you're uh, saying should be organic as well and so these these elements all kind of naturally build off of each other
1: yeah and i I recommend to people that when you begin like a plot outline you get the real major plot points down what um i call well i don't call them my co-author of writing deep scenes martha alderson who wrote the plot whisperer series. She originates this term, the energetic markers, and I've come to adopt it because I think it's really simple. And so if you get your plot energetic markers down, which are the key turning points of the story, then you can kind of of let the scenes take you where they're going to go. You can try and pre-plot them all and that's fine too. But I do find there's a certain amount of the story will take you where it needs to go as well. Um, that you have to be open to because there are certain natural consequences that come up as you're writing something that you don't even know until you write it. And, uh,
0: that's great. I mean, so you've got these sort of cornerstones of mm the story and the rest is, uh, is filled in along the way. I guess mm-hmm. I could go a long way in helping both the conceptual writers and the discovery writers. And
1: mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I am like a, a combination of that. I yeah. find that I really like to be a discovery writer, but if I don't have some sense of the plot, I just go off the rails. Um, and also I do believe that the you can plot your book down to the very sentence and it's going to surprise you anyway. So, yeah, you know, might as well be open to that.
0: I love that. And I know discovery writers talk a lot about, you know, having the characters write the story and just having them do what they'll organically do and kind of watching it unfold, which I think right. brings us to your book, Writing the Intimate Character. Um, mm-hmm. What is the importance of point of view?
1: Well, I think primarily, first of all, that we all, we all have kind of a misconception of what point of view is, or, or I found as I started writing that book, um, you know, we just don't really know what it is in some ways. And so, mm-hmm. The, way, the simplest way, I think, to describe it is as a kind of lens through which you're showing, you're, you're telling the reader the story. And the, the where the term intimacy comes into play, where I kind of coined that phraseology, is um, how, which point of view you choose uh, offers the reader a, a certain different level of intimacy with the character. So if you choose an omniscient, all-knowing, godlike point of view, you're going to actually put a little more distance between the reader and the character. Cause you're able to jump in and out of their head in and out of time. You know, you can give the reader information that the characters don't know and vice versa. And so that's, that's a perfectly good form of point of view. If you like that, if you need that kind of latitude, but if you want to really get up close and personal so that the reader feels like they are in the story or even in your character's head, you're going to want something more intimate. Like it can just be third person intimate It can be first person, but it really, it's important because if you just willy-nilly write your story without thinking about point of view, you can actually kind of lose your reader and they can start to feel distant from the character. Mm-hmm.
0: If you're trying, you know,
1: when that, that might not be your goal. Um, I mean, some people are just, again, intuitive writers and they pick a point of view that works just fine. But if you do find that you're having, especially if readers feel disconnected from your character or they feel like they don't know where certain information is coming from in the story, you might want to slow down and, and really re- refresh yourself, which my book tries, tries, to, it tries to not just tell you, like, here's what the point of views are, but show them in action and show how they convey different kinds of um, tones and, and levels of intimacy. Mm. Um, the, that was a long-winded answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, That's fantastic. Um, it, it makes me wonder, is there ever a reason not to be more intimate with the character, to not prefer that?
1: You know, it's, I've come to realize it's just very stylistic. I think that certain kinds of novels like historical fiction and science fiction and, and even fantasy sometimes require being able to tell the reader information that doesn't come from directly within the character.
0: Mm. Um,
1: I will say that as conventions go in terms of publishing, um, I think that the intimate points of views have become more popular. You know, I don't know if that's like a, indicative of our sort of self-absorbed culture (laughs) or (laughs) that's just you know we go through phases publishing goes through phases um but you know there are there is a time and a place for for really being able to pull back a little bit and convey like historical information or whatnot but you have to keep in mind that you have to do it in a balanced way or you do run that risk of of boring or losing the reader because you've slipped away from the characters
0: Yeah, you know, and I almost wonder if um, that intimate point of view does go toward engaging the reader in the sense that they embody the feelings Mm -hmm. and imagery.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, that's what I like about those intimate points of view is that you feel like you are inside the character, if it's you know, or alongside the character, and that just that I think that makes you more invested in the in the story in some ways.
0: So the point of view then, uh, it almost becomes a mechanism for creating empathy then.
1: I would say so, empathy. And, and also it helps ground people in the actual scenes themselves, you know, really makes you feel um, like you're really there. It's all happening to and with you. I mean, that's the whole power of a scene is that it, it invokes, it literally invokes the senses of the reader in mm. such a way that you feel like time is, like it's happening right now as you read it.
0: That's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think separates a timeless story from a good story? So I, I know there are a lot mm-hmm. of techniques. I, I think if you follow the plotting or the the structure, you can pretty much create a good story or at least a decent story. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to get that extra bit to create a timeless story.
1: You know, I- I think there are multiple things that create those A couple of things that come to my mind. Um, the stories that tend to linger with me are the ones that tackle, I would say more complex human issues. So like, you know, if I'm just going to read, a, it's not to say that I haven't read a mystery novel that tackles complex human issues, but if I, you know, sometimes the genre tends to feel kind of like taking a, a shot of espresso versus like, right. I don't know, drinking a <laughs> latte. I don't know. It's <laughs> not a good metaphor, but.
0: It's a great point, though. We kind of expect a different sort of satisfaction out of it.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that, um, that a lot of those books tend to have more, they go a little more introspective into the character's inner world and show them. But I also think it's just they show people grappling with, you know, aspects of the human condition that are challenging. Those tend to be timeless. And also, the other thing I've noticed that makes a book, if not timeless, stand out to me in a way that I it lingers is when there's this really a lot of care taken with the the language and the imagery in the book. So that it's like good story, great characters, but there's just that, that level of the language resonates with me and lingers. Mm. Um, and you can do that whether you, you don't have to be a literary writer to create powerful imagery. In fact, I have, a, there's a whole chapter in my new book that's on imagery, um, which I'll be teaching at the writer's digest conference this weekend. Um, <laughs> This probably to. won't even run before that.
0: No, I'd love to hear some quick thoughts on on imagery. If you could preview some of that for us, I mean, what does create that interesting imagery?
1: Well, let me. Uh, I have to pull up my my page so that I can pull <laughs> I it off the top of my head. The I'm sorry. Uh, really, there's a couple things that that create imagery. So, to be the simplest way to create imagery is to use similes and metaphors. Honestly, mm-hmm. so to compare something to something else, um, and if I can make my computer work. I can pull one up for you and actually read one. Um, so similes and metaphors is where, you know, you, you know, something is like something else. Yeah. Um, metaphors is where you sort of compare two things that can't be like one another, you know, like, like she, she was a shooting star or something. Juliet is Bad example, same. but yeah. Uh, yes. Um, or what's the other, oh, there's a t- book title that does that. Um, the heart is a lonely hunter. Mm. That's a metaphor. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and in really simple, you can do simple imagery like uh, using emotional experience uh, or sensory experience to, com- to convey emotion as a way to use imagery. Like, um, think about, you know, your. I'm terrible at off the top of my head for some reason. Um, I'm a writer, not a speaker. No, no, no I uh, you <laughs> you that. Oh wait, I think I think my computer's working. So, so like, if you want to convey emotion instead of saying he was mad, he was sad, you might say, you know, his his uh, chest felt cracked with heat or something. I'm
0: mm, terrible yeah. off of
1: the floor. Um But the other thing is that images tend to feel, um, they speak to the subconscious. They're symbolic sometimes. So that's where the, you nice. can think of poetry. Like here's one, here's an image from uh, a book called Swamplandia, which is a really interesting novel by Karen Russell. So um, I'll read it to you because I'm. Yeah, please. Uh, the the bird man's eyes were like new lamps for the old performance. He kept smiling and smiling at me. And when his gaze rolled over my skinny legs, the pins of my knees became twin suns.
0: Hmm.
1: So new lamps for the old performance. So he's looking at this girl in a particular way. Like, how does this image make you feel? Is he looking at her passively and uh, disinterestedly?
0: You no, know, it's, you it's know. as if seeing with new eyes. Yeah.
1: Right, as and and then he's the pins of my knees became twin sons. So here we've got him looking her. She changes under the weight of his gaze. Right. So mm-hmm. the interesting thing about this image is that it's actually an older man looking at a young girl inappropriately, but she likes the attention. Right. So there's she's using all this imagery to convey something without having to tell us. He lecherously glared at me.
0: Right, and you can almost Do you see pour over these sentences for much more time than if you had just come out and told.
1: Yes, you do. And it also, it tends to leave, evoke a feeling as well and leaves the reader feeling something more than just, like, you know, you said, if you flatly state something, you kind of take the, you you give, you do the work for the reader when you flatly tell them what something is. Mm. And there are many places where that's appropriate to do, but there are opportunities to use imagery to kind of let the the subconscious chew over something and communicate information in a compelling way basically and I also find that when you use imagery it just makes the writing feel more lyrical somehow, more yeah. poetic, you know. It just does. And those books linger in my mind. And I've I've heard other people say the same thing. They just feel a little richer.
0: I love the that. There's a there's another layer there than um, and, yes. and it goes towards engagement too with the audience or with the with the reader. You have to, your mind has to be engaged with it to to appreciate it.
1: Yeah, there, that's a good way of putting it. It is like a layer of engagement, and it's like it's like engaging something below the conscious mind. So yeah. that that's partly why I think it lingers and makes you feel things because you're you're still kind of chewing it over in your mind later on. Um, and so yeah. So that's those are just a couple possibilities for. I'm you, sure other writers would have <laughs> other ideas.
0: I know another one that comes to my head would be personification. I guess. Um, are there mm-hmm. any other techniques that you think are particularly important? Um, simile, metaphor, personification.
1: Um, there's also what I call juxtaposition. So where you put t- two unlike things side by side. Hmm. Um, let's see if I have one you're, on I'm hand.
0: Forced to reconcile them and compare them
1: yeah yes yes especially if they're like there's one um i don't have it in front of me but it's oh let me see if i can i, can, I can't remember if it's in my slides here or not uh sort of like comparing something delicate with something vicious mm. side by side um like an image that 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 pulls to two things that's kind of startling sometimes or sort of makes you go ooh, yeah. hmm, you know hadn't considered that um that's one another way to do that kind of image building um
0: i love kind of that thing. it's i love yeah. that. it's beautiful right and to your point of yeah. it sort of being lyricism it just hitting yeah it's on a deeper level
1: it's just it's just makes i feel like you know as writers we it's our job to communicate information in a way the reader maybe hasn't heard it or seen it before and right. language language is kind of the that's our medium that's what we're actually painting with so to speak mm. and so why why not learn how to make the actual sentences as interesting as the story
0: it's a great point it's a fantastic point and um, there's sort of that idea that the medium is the message so
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's fantastic it's
1: true it, um. it's such an interesting medium too because here we are building worlds with these little black squiggles on a page yeah. you know it's it's pretty profound to be able to do that and it does take Practice, but I, I think that it's um, it's possible, very possible.
0: Yeah. So this this kind of brings me to one of our last questions: where. Do you get your story ideas? And what is your creative process? Because I mean, mm. it's it's easy enough to. And you you hinted at this at the beginning of the conversation. It's easy enough to know that your conflict should be organic, and it's easy enough to know that your stake should be organic, and that maybe you should have these emotional moments and these plot points. But then actually sitting down to put a pen to paper and mm.
1: and creating
0: ideas is sort of a different ball game.
1: Mm hmm. Well. I know. And it's, I, am conscious of this all the time as I teach when you teach all these elements of the craft, but somebody then has to take all this information and sit down and it's like, now what? <laughs> right, um,
0: right.
1: That's why I, I'm like really kind of an evangelist for scene writing. Cause when you learn to write scenes, which is cool. like little, you write a whole novel in scenes. And so when you understand that little mechanism, you really learn how to, I think, how to write the basics yeah. of storytelling. Um, so my process is, has varied off over the years so much, but ultimately, what, especially when I'm writing a novel, which is my my passion, um, usually I get my ideas from everywhere. I'll be honest. You know, it can be something I heard somebody talking about, it can be from a news report, something that like I chew over in my own mind. And then I think, I got to write a book about this. (laughs) I've written, I have written a lot of books that will never see the light of day just doing that kind of thing. Wow. Um, Far more books than I will ever publish. Wow. Um, Because that's part of the process too. Like you learn how to write a novel. I tell people by writing one, that's the best way to learn. Um, Do it messily. Anyways. So, but I do think that, you know, you, most writers, I think if you don't have any ideas, maybe reconsider being a writer because <laughs> you know, they're everywhere. Right. I, I, I hope that doesn't sound condescending. No, I, don't, I don't mean
0: to. It, it's a good point though, I, that writing is, is kind of about the job of having ideas.
1: Yeah. I I think maybe what I would say is that people don't always trust their ideas. They don't think they're good enough to be stories. And I would say that's incorrect and really listen to those stories. Like the ones that, that haunt you and trouble you and, nag you and that you've always wanted to tell, write those, you know, find your way into them and, and maybe they'll turn out not to be the ones you want to write, but you start somewhere. And the same thing goes for me in terms of starting a novel. I tend to have, I tend to either have a scene in my head, just a random scene or a character sort of conflict like situation. Like I had, I'm working on a novel. I'm actually revising the draft I started a couple of years ago about a woman who lost a child, and of course, it's not a tremendously cheerful subject, but I'm, I'm very interested in grappling with issues like of motherhood and how the culture imposes all these ideas on mothers, and also grief, how we are like, culture doesn't really like to deal with death. Um, so that was sort of like the situation, but then as I started drafting this character in a scene, um, plot, actual plot ideas came to mind. So that's kind of where I get started. And then I do that thing where I like try to plot out the energetic markers mm. and think about who the antagonists would be. And um, and then I, may, I basically just make myself right. Do the crappy first draft thing. There it
0: is. That's the key. That's the success. That's the key there.
1: Yeah. In fact, I'm about to embark on NaNoWriMo. Are you familiar with yes, that? Yes, definitely. Um, in November, which I've done – Quite a few times over the years, actually, uh, as a way to just get material out. Yeah. I don't believe that anybody really finishes a novel in that time, but if you can write 50,000 words or even 25,000 words in that month, I mean, that's a huge endeavor. It is. And uh, it gets you, it really gets you going. And there's something about the daily practice of it. Because that's kind of the deal. If you're going to write that many words, you have to do it every day.
0: I love that. And, And sort of approaching writing, you know, as a career, as a, just like any other profession, yeah. we show up every day and, you know, the accountants don't show up and say, I don't have any ideas for today. So <laughs> right. you, you just got to chain yourself to the easel.
1: And it's, it really comes down to, you just have to start somewhere. I think that a lot of us can undercut ourselves by trying to get it all right. And, you know, we have these perfectionist ideas in our heads about what we should be doing. And it's like, just write, just write the first sentence. And I guarantee you'll get a a second sentence.
0: That is great advice about sort of stifling that judgmental voice in everyone's head.
1: Mm -hmm. It's hard to do, but it's not, it's just necessary. And then actually after a while, I feel you, you actually feel freed up from that, that sort of critical voice once you just get to it,
0: you know, Mm. that's fantastic. Well, Thank you so much for your time. Um, after your book comes out, How to Write a Page-Turner, I'd love to have you back discussing that one. Yeah, Thank yeah you, Jordan, it was great to me. be on. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks again to Jordan Rosenfeld for her time and wisdom. Check the show notes for a link to her website and her books. And if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so that we can continue to grow and learn more storytelling tips from our special guests. You can learn more about upcoming guests, our creative writing group, and writing workshops at our website, kingo.com. That's K I I N G O.com. That's all for today. Now, let's get to work and write some great stories.